So yeah, so what I just wanted to touch base with you, we, we've got, we've, we're growing this Hardwick Alliance, which is, which is supposed to be network amongst. It, it's a network for networks to try and expand the general message that obviously the Great Reset and the Green New Deal, totally fake, totally uh, contrived, and uh, we're trying to build up an alliance that we all have the same hymn sheet to sing from, um, to to take on the, the, the wrongdoers. And uh, I can't believe that Caroline Lucas, who I was on party council when we, we embraced her as our full-time press officer all those years back, and I dread to think how long ago that was now, about 1986, something like that, 85, 86. And, and I can't believe that she now is happy to don't know to be in bed literally but to be in bed with the likes of mark carney and the the bankers and the I, I i just find it quite incredible how the green movement has been effectively hijacked by the uh the entire cabal's uh, agenda and uh i mean that always happens doesn't it i mean every union has been infiltrated from the start you know people go on strike thinking that in some way a strike can work you know if the, if the rail strikers had said right you can travel for free today yeah well that, that would you, have been a very different result did you know that the general secretary of the tuc whose name i'm desperately trying to pluck out from the ether i i find i keep getting all these names but anyway she is actually a non-executive director of the bank of england Wow. And when, when the current incumbent comes back, the governor comes back from his meetings at the Bank for International Settlements, does, uh, does she get told what was said there? Because trust me, the levels of secrecy are incredible. Nobody knows exactly what is discussed at the Bank for International Settlements, because that is where the likes of the Rothschilds, the Warburgs, the Sheaf families, give their instructions to the governors of the said banks. And we've got Carol Quigley to thank that information. The whole banking world, everything, as we're seeing now with the, the energy price caps going up, and uh, I've just had the news on now. I mean, there's a pub that I used to go to in Kendall when we used to live up in the Lake District, Yorkshire Dales. They've complained that the old fleece in their normal electricity bill, gas bill, is 46,000. It's now going to be 164,000. So you can see that everything is now being collapsed. Um, small, medium-sized businesses are going to be basically um, shown the door. And uh, when, when Klaus Schwab and his people talk about you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, you can see what they're engineering. Well, it's all too obvious. Yeah, the interesting one here is uh, only today I was given the information that uh, the Vatican Bank, which some people actually believe owns the Bank for International Settlements. Some, yeah, the, the, the true relationship has never been established quite yet. But the architect for, well, the architecture of the, the Vatican Bank is a round tower, which is the same as the Bank for International Settlements, the, the, the ugly building, the Tower of Basel, as it's called. But um, the Vatican 
apparently the Pope has announced that he wants all the money in for the Vatican Bank by September the 30th, which is interesting. What, well, what, what does that mean, all the money in? Well, basically it means anything that's out there, they, they, they want to pull it into the bank, the Vatican Bank proper. In other words, they want their money back or they are supposed to be worth about $18 billion. Though many people I've talked to say they're worth many, many times that. And of course, they are the secret, they are God's bankers. They are the secret ones behind the scenes involving the Maltese and the oh, all, all this sort of hidden orders stuff. But the interesting thing is that they, he summoned, he basically wants the drawbridge pulling up on the bank by September the 30th. Wow. Yeah. And so it is looking like October, November is going to be a very, very hold on to your hat period, I think. But, and this is the big one, we have the Bradbury Pound, or at least we have an example in 1914 of the British government creating debt-free, interest-free money that was based firmly on the wealth and the labour potential, the creativity of the country. And they created, by today's standards, well over 30, 35 billion pounds worth of this money at the outbreak of the First World War, which stopped the collapse of the City of London and which stopped a run on the banks because every, everyone was wanting to get their gold out and they didn't trust the paper money being created by the Bank of England, which obviously was a private bank in those days, still technically is, but that's another story. But the important thing is it was real money, the so-called Bradbury pound named after Sir John Bradbury. And the argument is if it worked in 1914, why can't it work today in 2022? Because it's the same principle how the Treasury creates the loose change in your pocket. When you have your one pound coins and your 50p's and your 20p's and what have you, they've been created by the Treasury authorizing the, the Royal Mint to create that money. And it's called M, M for money, M naught at, we think it's probably now down to about 1.8% or something like that. Essentially, you're, you're looking at the loose change in your pockets that is created by the Treasury. The notes, the 5, 10, 20, 50 pound notes, are created by the Bank of England. And of course, that's where it's got, I promise to pay the bear the sum of whatever. Uh, and that is money that is make-believe. It is just plucked out of the air. It's just a debt. It's just a ledger exercise. And... Um, well, the key, the key to this is the politicians and the people in Parliament do not want people to understand money creation and money supply. And they're all in bed. Have you heard of a guy called the City Remembrancer? Yes, I have. Yeah, well, many people haven't. And he effectively makes sure MPs never ask too many questions about how money is actually created. I've met... In the 10 years that I was tipped off about the Bradbury Pound, and it's almost 10 years to the day, uh, I've talked to 25 MPs face to face. And the first question I asked them is, what can you tell me about the Bank for International Settlements? And not one of them could tell me anything about it, including my new 
uh, MP, Liz Savile Roberts, who is uh, Fly Cymru. I went down to see her, had a very nice meeting with her, kept it very pleasant. And the first question I asked her, what can you tell me about the Bank for International Settlements? And she couldn't tell me anything at all. And she's been in Parliament seven years. Couldn't or wouldn't? Uh, it's an interesting one, that. It's a small party, the Plaid Cymru. I don't think they've got a hierarchy quite as big as the, quite as the, yeah. Interesting that I, I sometimes wonder myself. Um, I don't, I think in her case, it's a genuine couldn't. She didn't know anything about it. In the big parties, you sometimes wonder. And, uh, but the one thing that comes over loud and clear is that the big, the, the, the political parties are very much under control of the City of London. And uh, yeah, it's as simple as that. So we're coming into this very, very interesting period where we've got an all out economic collapse staring at us. There is a very, very simple solution that could be implemented overnight. It could be done in seconds. In fact, all it requires is the prime minister and the chancellor to say that the entire economy is now underpinned. The entire lawful part of the British economy is now underpinned by the total value and labor potential of the country. And we're worth over 30 trillion pounds. And uh, you can underpin the entire economy um, that way. Um, and in doing so, you would then, then absorb the Bank of England into the Treasury and you would break off with immediate effect any relationship with the Bank for International Settlements. But of course, that's just not going to happen. But that is the reality of the financial world that we live in at the moment. The entire thing is run by private individuals, unelected, unaccountable, and their meetings are held in absolute secrecy. And people have absolutely no idea what is happening on their behalf. And that is the reality of it. So you've been trying for 10 years to wake people up. Well, um, yes, to put it bluntly. And uh, I've had people back me. And I've had some people who I really thought should be backing me, but are not backing. Because they believe in other schools of economic theory. And that's the other thing that really bugs me. You've got people who claim they are new economics, Austrian school of economics and Keynesian school of economics and all these others. And they're all essentially happy to work within the confines of a financial system. As I said, it's private hands, unelected, unaccountable and held in secrecy. And they don't see anything wrong with that. The, um, the incredible thing is that, I mean, I went to school, they forced me to go to church every day and they forced me to read the Bible. And it did strike me when I was quite young, the only time that Jesus gets pissed off about anything is when he throws the moneylenders out of the temple. Yeah, you exactly. thought that exactly. that was a fairly well-known story. I know, I know. And usury is allowed. And uh, luckily, when I was told about the... Uh, what it was, I'd already connected some dots and uh, I contacted a lady called Ellen Brown in America. She's a US attorney in America. 
and she was a great champion of Abraham Lincoln's greenback dollars, uh, which helped to win the American Civil War for the North. And uh, talking to her, and she'd also written uh, a very good paper on what actually happened with the Weimar Republic and how the truth about that had never come out. And so by the time I'd finished talking to her, I suddenly thought, well, why haven't we got the equivalent of a greenback pound? So I wrote a, uh, um, an article for the UK column, which they published. And about, that was in May, 2012 and then on September the 10th and I shan't forget it in a hurry the phone went my wife was in the kitchen I thought oh my god it's going to be one of my wife's friends ringing up to have a chat which means I will have to go up in the kitchen and you know hang around keeping an eye on everything and my daughter was doing her homework and a very posh voice said hello is that Justin Walker and I said well it might be and he said, well, let me put your mind at rest. Are you the nephew of the late Sir Harry Pilkington, later Lord Pilkington? And I said, yes. He said, well, excellent. He said, I, this is a very brief message. I've got a message from my father who is not long for this world, but he was a director of the Bank of England with your uncle. And he wants you to research the word Bradbury. And it was hilarious because my laptop was closed. There was no paper by the phone. There was no pen, nothing. So I opened my laptop and I thought, press the button. I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. And he said, I want you to research the word Bradbury. So I breathed on the window and wrote Bradbury. And he said, uh, if you research the Bradbury, you will find the solution to all of Britain's economic woes. He said, I'm not prepared to let you know any more. My father just asked me to tell you that. I wish you well, and uh, you won't be able to trace this call. And uh, with that, he wished me goodbye. I did immediately 1471, number withheld. I breathed on the window. By the time my laptop got over, was open, and I managed to feed in the word Bradbury, see what came up. And at first, I got Julia Bradbury, the lady who struts around old disused railway lines and stuff. And that wasn't very helpful. And then I got the chap who wrote the Martian Chronicles. And I thought, well, this is not getting me very far. And then I came across um, a website promoting a, a, a former MP called Thomas Johnston. And Thomas Johnston was, uh, he looked after Scotland during the uh, Churchill's wartime government. He was considered to be the father of the Scottish hydroelectric scheme. And he would appear to be a, a Labour MP, but nobody had a bad word to say about. And he hated corruption. And he wrote a book called The Financiers and the Nation. And in chapter nine, it was on usury and the Great War. And then you had the entire story of the Bradbury Pound rolled out in front of you. And how it came about and how that... Uh, to avoid the run of the banks, the, the governor of the Bank of England and the other directors went running round and said, you've got to save us. You've got to create this money, treasury money, and uh, save the day. And the interesting thing is uh, a guy who was uh, the deputy governor at the time and the director of the Bank of England was a chap called Vincent Vickers. And he witnessed at first hand 
how the country was saved by treasury money, debt-free, interest-free treasury money. And uh, he went on to basically resign as a director. He took on Montague Norman, who uh, was the longest serving governor after the First World War. And Montague Norman teamed up with a guy called Helmer Schacht, who was Hitler's finance minister. And between them, they created the Bank for International Settlements. And Vincent Vickers absolutely said, I'm going to have you, I'm going to expose you, and I'm going to make sure that people realize that what you're doing is a criminal enterprise. And he wrote a book called Economic Tribulation, which he died at the second day of the Second World War. And his daughter, Wilma, put it all together. And he stated categorically, having seen both sides, he said the only way money should be created is by through the government or through the through a, a, a shall we say an element of the government that the people can trust and it's got to be open transparent and uh, accountable and uh, so that that's really it and that that's what we've got to have today somehow we've got to persuade people to realize that they are being strung out and they're going to be taken to the cleaners and the, the worst case scenario could be that we wake up to find that we have no money in the banks, but we've been given a thousand units or whatever it may be. Uh, in other words, you're going to end up having a social credit system like in China with the central bank digital currencies. And we're going to find ourselves in a completely alien environment as regards money. And a cashless, and that's the other thing. Only today I was told on the front page of Daily Express, it says cash will be gone within five years. I think they're planning to get rid of it a lot sooner than that. Yeah, well, who knows exactly. So we've got our work cut out, Clive. That's the bottom line. And that's part of what Hardwick does. Hardwick obviously is very much involved in the natural health and uh, getting the truth out about medicine and stuff. We've teamed up with Tess at the World Council for Health, etc. Uh, we're also teaming up with people who are setting up a new uh, opposite number to the health, the, the, the Tess's outfit, which will be dealing with food and farming. And uh, we're also talking to people who are involved in the local media and media, you know. And as I said, we're trying to build up a broad uh, base to show people that there are solutions. I mean, one of the things I hate about politicians is that number of times, and dear old Jeremy Corbyn is one of them, how many times they utter the words hope and how many times they utter the word change. Hope and change, hope and change. What they never talk about is truth and solutions, truth and solutions. So that also is something that uh, we're trying to show people that do not trust any political party or any career politician that we want to bring an end to career politicians and the original Chartists. And uh, I set up a thing called the New Chartist Movement, which is part of the Hardwick Alliance. It's all part and parcel of it. But the original Chartists in the 1830s and 40s, they managed to secure victory for five of their points. But the sixth point, the sixth thing they wanted to see happen was one year parliaments. And of course, one year parliaments have never been. And if you had one year parliaments, you would not have career politicians. 
and the world will be a much better place for it. So that is something we also want to, in fact, when I actually said that at the rally, it got a huge round of applause. So that I'm, I think people are sympathetic to that idea that we should not be going down the path of career politics and that we should be encouraging everyone to step up to the plate to do their bit. And uh, that's the challenge. Anyway, I've been doing a lot of talking, Clive. You want to, I'll shut up now and let you tell me now a bit about yourself and what you're doing. It strikes me that the system that we currently have, parliaments and public servants and so on, and business, there are only a few tiny changes that would need to be made to make everything smooth. Clearly, the financial uh, Bradbury Pound idea is, is key. Another key is to remind public servants what the definition of the word servant is. That means they do nice things for you. I mean, imagine public servants, let's take a parking warden. They help you park. That the, the pub, your public servants who are serving you help you do stuff rather than punish you and make it very difficult. So the real problem there is, as you say, politicians. So when the politicians go on holiday at Christmas, do things get worse while they're on holiday? Well, no, because they're on holiday. Um, so let's say they just never came back. Well, we've got all the systems there. Uh, the problem with corporations, of course, is that people who work for them aren't individually liable. If you or I are in business, we're individually liable, or a limited liability company is. Uh, but for a corporation, there is no responsibility. So if you brought in corporate responsibility, you brought in the end of politics and the beginning of a parliament filled like, you know, like some of the Indian nations had where Congress was 300 old women who would take decisions seven generations down the line. So is the decision we're going to take, and they meant by generation a whole lifespan. Uh, so in seven lifespans, will the decision we've been taking today valuable? Now, it struck me that you could have a TV program where people voted for the most wonderful granny in the world, the most wonderful granddad in the world. And you you found these, you know, just the dream granny, you know, they're so sweet and lovely. And you say, well, I'm sorry, but we're going to co-opt you, if you don't mind, for a year to help sort of run the country a bit. And, you know, <laughs> if you've got a problem with it, you can always bring in like a eight-year-old and you can say, look, we're thinking of chopping down this rainforest because we need the to grow soya or something. Do you think it's a good idea? You know, these are the animals that be wiped out. You know, an eight-year-old would probably take a sensible decision, but we just need to remove the scum. You know, what, what rises to the top? You know, well, the cream or the scum? The cream <laughs> should be running the country. We've got the scum doing it. You know, there are well, answers to every problem in the world. Well, you know? one, of, one of the things that Julian being a minor aristocrat, and he always jokes, he always likes to remind us he's a, an aristocrat. Uh, and so he's, 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 good, he's a good chap, actually, he's in good form. But one of the things that um, we, we talk about is the perhaps setting up a Witan, a new version of the Witan, which are the wise counsellors for the monarch, to advise the monarch. 
and the wise the wise counselors could be the proverbial duke or the dustman uh, it, as you said yourself what you said about the ladies uh, it, it 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 could just be wise people who are asked to do this for a period of i don't know one year two i mean far better people than myself can make these sort of decisions but certainly the idea of bringing wisdom into the decision making process rather than ambition and naked ambition to boot so I, it's not beyond the wit to do this i mean you know and this and actually i jokingly say i mean i notice you've got gray hair i've got gray hair at least, I mean, in indigenous peoples, they look up to their elders and they actually respect their elders because we've actually got a bit of um, experience under our belts. And and maybe this is what the arrogance of youth, we, we need to have that lovely combination of the, the guidance of the wise with the energy of the youth. And somehow we've got to sort of work the two together. Um, but that that's just one example of what we're thinking of. Uh, that some sort of witan needs to be a body that would be responsible for the money creation and the money supply to make sure that the, the country has the wherewithal to meet its needs. So. Well, quite. I mean, you know, obviously schooling has had a terrible impact on people. They haven't been able to be creative and think for themselves. So that's, I mean, luckily I left school when I was 16. On my 16th birthday, I fled, you know, happy to be out of it. But, um, I mean, at school, we're taught to basically follow income, where clearly probably the life that you're leading, the life that I'm leading, isn't following income, it's following the outcome. Mm. We're working to follow the, because we want an outcome to happen. And generally speaking, if you are doing the right thing for the right reasons, the income often follows. Oh, yeah. most, most people, unfortunately, do work that they hate for no reason that they can see other than the income. It's, it's sad. Well, I'm now a pensioner. So I've now the state is giving me the wherewithal and the, and the, and the other half takes two thirds of it before I've even had a look at it. So uh, I, I've just resigned myself that uh, I have a little bit to live on every month and uh, she leaves me alone. So there we are. Um, but I'm content. I'm not complaining. Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's going to get interesting. Um, how it's all going to turn out. I mean, one, one chap I got to know quite well is a chap called Ronald Bernard, who was a Dutch banker, who, when he was invited to take part in a satanic ritual involving the killing of a child, to improve his prospects working for the Bank for International Settlements, and this is the very dark side of what we're up against, he decided to come clean and tell the world about it. And uh, Ronald Bernard, he, he announced that around 8,000 people run the world. Uh, my uncle said around 10,000 people ran the world. We're approaching 8 billion now. I think the world's population is just about touching 8 billion. So if we go by Ronald's figures, effectively one psychopath is telling a million people what to do. So the odds are in actually in our favor once people wake up. And we always say now it's a, it's a good versus evil and there's a razor blade between. So there's no way you can sit on a razor blade. 
and we are now starting to talk to people. I mean, we've got Neil Oliver, GB News. Um, I'm talking to Neil now probably once or twice a week. He is definitely waking up onto what's going on. He said a lot of the people at GB News are also now beginning to realize that the whole thing, there's a pattern to what's happening and it's deliberate. So the waking up process is definitely taking part. Um, I get a bit worried when people like Nigel Farage start telling me that things are not good. I and mean, he's a city man through and through. Uh, I wouldn't trust him as far as I could, well, quite uh, another man who's an opportunist, to put it bluntly. But there are good people who are now starting to speak out. And uh, it is now a case of guiding those good people and making sure they've got the right hymn sheet to sing from and that they are knowing what's going on and how it can be sorted. So, uh, yeah. So how's your business doing, Clive? You're obviously running your own business. Well, I've got a few businesses. Um, luckily, only 3% of my business was Europe. But uh, Europe has put, put a total block on supplements. You know, I sell natural supplements. That's one of my businesses. And we can no longer export to Europe. It's just ended. We, I mean, had my business been European-based, well, I'd be bankrupt. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible that such a division can, can happen. Luckily, of course, people are becoming very aware of the need to look after their own health. So business from that perspective isn't bad. I also run uh, the Secret Health Club, you know, because when I was with UK Column, you know, I was their health correspondent for quite a while. And when the government attacked us, Ian Crane and UK Column and myself, uh, you know, we were forced to take all our videos down off YouTube, threatened 24 hours or a quarter of a million pound fine. Mm. And... Uh, uh, after that, I decided, well, uh, I'll start a private club where the information cannot be censored, uh, which is, you know, what are, one of the things that I do to try and get information like this out there to people. But, um, you know, the question is, how, how do we get this information known? Because the there are answers to absolutely everything. You've probably maybe seen the videos of the Chinese regrowing a desert. They're recovering acres of desert every day because they found a way mm. to plant plants that will grow and survive. Just as, just as the Israelis do. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, the, 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 this is it. There are solutions everywhere we look. There are solutions. And uh, the trouble is the wrong people, as you said at the beginning, are the ones who are controlling the operation. So, so what would have happened if the truckers in Canada, instead of doing the normal thing that strikers do and make life miserable for the people, what if they had individually targeted the, the, the bad guys? That there's now 20 trucks parked outside your house, Mr. Boss of Pfizer, Mr. Politician. You know, what a different result it would have been if they'd sort of taken it personally well look at the dutch farmers look at the what's happening in europe with farming in general um having a tractor with a full of uh, a trailer of manure over your garden 
Um, I'm sorry, I, I'm afraid all these politicians now, I, I don't have any feeling of empathy towards any of them. They, to me, they have all used up their lives. They, they, they are completely useless. We know that they are the people keeping the system going, the system servers. And well, whilst I don't wish them personally harm, um, I think they've got to be drummed out of town. To put it bluntly, I think we've got to show people now we've had enough. These these people are not there for us. They are there for the elite. And uh, I've always taken heart from the fall of Ceausescu in Romania. And uh, it's when the senior civil servants don't turn up for work. They've already stashed away their private Swiss income, Swiss uh, bank accounts. And they suddenly think, right, we're getting out. And they get the farm, they get the family, and they buggered off, and the whole thing starts to crumble. And I think that that is the system that I would like to see crumble. I would like to see where the people who are supposedly keeping this system going suddenly don't turn up for work. And uh, I think this is where we can start to to put the lay the foundations of rot into their camp. We can really make them realise that they're. I mean, when a, when a guy comes home from work and he goes down to his golf club or his pub, he wants to be able to say to them, oh, I'm doing such and such. But he's now realizing his friends are saying, you're working against us. You are a part of the system that is now trying to collapse my business or is trying to collapse my way of life or whatever it may be. And I think a lot of people who are the system serving the servers within the civil servants and all the rest of it, are going to start to feel as though they're batting for the wrong side. So I think, yeah. And of course the military is also something else, which I'm, we've got a lady who's just joining us. She's an Indian lady who works with military intelligence, army intelligence and stuff. She's got a network going and, um, and here, I mean, I was in the territorial army. I was weekend soldiering. So I wasn't exactly in the elite. But nonetheless, you talk to veterans now and they know there's something deeply wrong with the way the government is going, with the way the cutbacks to the armed services, with all the war rhetoric going on, with all the... They know that something is definitely not right. And they will be talking to us serving military. So I do think that there's going to become a point that the military will not be reliable for the government. The military will be looking out for the people, uh, especially what we call line regiments, normal regiments, where they've got families and they, 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 you know, they live in the communities, whether in Catterick, Aldershot or wherever it is. And I think people are now going to start thinking, hang on a moment, what on earth is going on? Uh, look at the Navy, look at, I mean, you know, everywhere you look, you can see this wokeism that's creeping in. You can see people just think, what, what on earth is going on? And of course, we are hearing, I don't know if you've heard this, Clive, but we've heard that, that all these economic migrants coming across the channel are being swallowed up and being trained as part of a UN force. I don't know if you've heard this, but we've heard this from a few reliable sources that all these young men are being taken to one side and are being trained. And again, the trainers 
will be wondering what the hell we're doing. So it's going to be interesting. The police, how many good police are left? I mean, I our local Bobby lives just down the road. Young chap in his early 30s. He can't wait to get out of the police. He said there's something deeply wrong with the police. He said, I just couldn't believe it when I joined it. And he now wants to get out. So, hmm. As I said, it's all beginning to happen. Well, quite. I mean, when cryptocurrency came out, I thought that was the answer. Just like the, when I heard about the Bradbury Pound from you 10 years ago, I thought that was the answer. Because if we can change, I mean, well, with crypto, I thought, well, if we can change currencies on government, they can no longer pay the thugs to do what thugs do. And we could say to the good people in the armed services, uh, well, look, we can pay you double not to do it. We'll just pay you more not to have war. Because, I mean, you know, one of my assistants was a Marine for 25 years. And I asked him the other day, is there any, is there ever a justifiable war? It took him a worrying amount of time to think about it. But he said, no, no, there's no justifiable war. And so I've talked to loads of soldiers, you know, living near Salisbury. I get the chance to meet lots and lots mm. of soldiers. And I asked them, look, if, if you were paid double, would you, would you agree not to have war? And a rather frightening percentage of people said to me words like, well, I enjoy the adrenaline rush of killing people. Mm. I mean, you know, but I still think the majority would. Excuse me. I've just been relentlessly optimistic through all of this. You know, is it the great, great reset? Well, maybe it's the great awakening. Why not? A lot of people are waking up. But how to get the Bradbury Pound message over, if there is only one answer, that's a great one. And clearly the idea of al aligning every group of people who've got a voice. You know, I've just got a small number of people who pay attention to me, you know, maybe 20,000 or something, but there are loads of people who've got millions of, of followers. Um, and frankly, we need to get organised. Well, that, that is why Hardwick is trying to exist the way we're doing it. Uh, we're going to be putting out things called TNT alerts, TNT, explosive, truth, not tyranny. And these will be one-page alerts, and there'll also be like a, um, a sort of uh, a tweet alert as well. And the idea is to get outside the echo chamber. Uh, we've got people far cleverer than my good self sorting that out. Um, and, and the idea is just to, so it would say a message would go out to yourself and you'd send it out your 20,000 with a recommendation to send it out. In other words, to get it out to as many people as possible. Um, at the moment, I wouldn't like to say how many, we, we've, got, we've got about 180 to 200 activists now within the, the Hardwick Alliance. Uh, we're, we're just in the throes of getting it all sorted. We've got a forum getting back up and running again. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got some good people. That's the important thing. We've got good people now who have come forward. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an optimist. I know we always say that the first person you chuck out of a boat in the middle of the Pacific is the pessimist. 
followed very quickly by the optimist. Um, but I am, I genuinely do feel as though the waking up process is happening. Uh, when you talk to, to, as I said, talking to Neil Oliver and others, there are a growing number of people now who are starting to connect the dots. Um, the only trouble is a lot of people are taken in by the cryptos and I'm always, I, I, I'm not an expert on these things. I'll be the first one to tell you, Clive, I am not an economist and I am not, you know, I, I don't know anything about cryptos or anything. But what I have been reliably told by those who seem to know what they're talking about is that they will just be swallowed up by the central bank digital currencies. They will not be allowed to exist. And the plug will be pulled on all of them. Now, you know, I, I can't say yay, nay, I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable enough on this. But those who are talking about cryptos believe that people are going to get very hurt by what's happening. And of course, I, people I, I think always ask, what do you do with your money? I mean, I, we're in the throes of selling our house down in Plymouth, uh, which we bought three, four years ago. Um, you know, we've got to try and put our, I mean, putting your money away in premium bonds and putting it away in small building societies. Um, and, and, it, and this is something else, too. People have got to think about what they're doing with their money because the bail-ins that the banks had in Cyprus, what, eight, nine years ago now? Um, it was almost 20 years ago, I think, that the bail-ins. Yeah, they well, the bail-ins, yeah, I, I was actually, I'd just been told about the Bradbury when, because it was quite ironic, because the grandson of Sir John Bradbury rang me up, and he lived in Cyprus. And he said the proverbial is hitting the fan in Cyprus. And he said they're going to do bank bail-ins. He said, I've just got my money out in the nick of time. So that's how I remember where it was. Um, right. That, as I said, a bank bail-in, a bank buy, you know, they, they will literally seize your money because technically yeah. speaking, their money is not yours. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So it, it's... Some people are going to get stung. I mean, I've got a younger brother who he's got a nice job and he's got everything going for him, but he loves playing with stocks and shares. And I've just been trying to warn him, you're going to have a pretty awful time. You're going to get, you find yourself on the receiving end. And I don't know if he's going to listen to me or not, but uh, I've told him there's always a spare bedroom for him here if the worst comes to the worst. But yeah, a lot of people are going to get hit. I, I think it's going to be fair that people are going to to, to feel the uh, what's going to happen if if it does, and you know, as I said, to me the Vatican suddenly giving a date of September the thirtieth. That that is well. I've had two people come back to me today and say that is very significant. So yeah, a lot of people have been saying that date to me. Not that's the first time I've heard about the Vatican, but. Mm. Um, well, it got under my radar. I, I, I must admit I was a bit surprised because I like to think I've got a fairly good comprehensive network of people feeding me stuff every day. And that, that escaped. And uh, so there's a few blushes and we didn't realize. How many should... people, how many, sorry, sorry to interrupt, how many people in America understand the greenback? Very good question. Uh, Ellen Brown has been on the circuit for a good 30, 40 years. 
Um, one of her, her, her arch critics has just died, thank God. He was a nasty piece of work. He used to go around bad-mouthing her. And he was uh, an Austrian school of economics. And uh, he wanted to have, I mean, he, he, he couldn't make it up. I'm trying to think of his name now. His name's got to go out of my head. But when you looked him up, he was a zealot. He was a religious zealot who believed that uh, anyone who disobeyed their father, anyone who disobeyed God's law should be stoned to death. Nice chap. <laughs> I mean, sort of charming fellow, really. Um, trying to remember his name anyway. But Ellen's been promoting public banks like the Bank of North Dakota. Oh, she's doing it. I... I would probably say around 5%. I'm plucking a figure out of the... I mean, I have no idea is the honest answer, but I, I would say that she's got influence, but probably no more than 5, 10% most, 5, 5%. Right. But again, it's, it's, it's the people like Trump. You had all these people come in. You know, Trump was meant to be the great reformer. He was meant to be one who was yeah, waste of space. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like a Obama hope and change, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> for for the better or for the worse, well, for the worse. Well, exactly. And Michelle Obama now is probably going to throw her hat into the ring, or is it going to be Meghan Markle? I mean, I'm for God's sake, <laughs> I am now starting to. And of course, the big one that we have got, and this is something that um, I'm actually turning my attention to, and I've got this lady, Professor Gloria Moss, who is part of our team. And, you know, when Charles becomes king, he'll take the title King George Seventh. by the way. That is the reliable, informed opinion. He will not go for Charles III. Charles I loses his head. Charles II had mistresses. And he, he reckons he's going to try and do an Edward VII, try and be a clever, wise king for the remaining 10 years he's probably got of his life. Ha, ha. But of course, he has fully backed the Great Reset and he's down on record as happy to give away our sovereignty. And there's no way he can become king. No way. So that is going to be a constitutional crisis to end all constitutional crises. It'll make Edward the Apes little roam in the park with Mrs. What's her name? Wallace. Simpson uh, looked like the proverbial stroll in the park. This is going to be a major constitutional crisis. And a lot of people, I think, are going to be prepared to go to the ramparts on that one. So that is going to be very interesting. And I don't know if he's got the energy to do it. It will be interesting, very interesting. But uh, William, climate change, all the rest of it. You know, they're, they're all they're all in it together. They are, yeah. And uh, some people say we need a new royal house. I mean, after all, the original house was Saxe, Coburg, and Gopher, and they only changed their bloody name because Gopher bombers were dropping bombs on London, and they didn't think it was a very good PR exercise to have a royal family named after a German bomber. Well, quite. I mean, I don't. Um have any respect for royalty uh, i don't see that uh, they have any place to rule anybody particularly not me well i i have a i have a role for a fully constitutional monarch who is there purely to guard our ancient freedoms 
and it would be rather like having a mayor. Um, and it would you you would not have the royal family, and you wouldn't have all that, and it would be elected. We would get back to the Saxon principle that you elect your monarch, who is going to be he or she is going to be there as a guardian to to protect our ancient freedoms from any ambitious politicians, generals, admirals, or anyone else. Um, so I, I think it needs to be looked at in a completely new light. So it'd be a bit like having a president, except we do like a little bit of tradition. Um, and we'd like to have a, you know, and I think we have gotten a good example from the Saxon kings that they, they have to be, you know, accepted. But that, that's, that's for greater, wiser heads to think about. If we get to that stage, I should be more than happy because it means that we'll be in the driving seat. <laughs> And many wiser people will then take over. Is there any way that the Bradbury Pound, so to speak, could be created by the people that somehow we yeah. we print our own money yeah. uh, and don't give up cash? I, I think that is that is the way forward, actually. I think we've got to break down the levels of ignorance amongst people about money creation and money supply, only to the level that I'm at. I mean, as I said... If I can, I always say to people, joking me, if I can understand it, any idiot can understand it. <coughs> and that's why I do like the Bradbury. It is actually remarkably simple to understand. And once people understand also that you have these shadowy organizations that exist, that have taken from us the right to control the money and et cetera, do all that, people are going to take umbrage. And there's nothing to stop a local community or a region, or anyone, because if the government is behaving unlawfully and unreasonably and is not prepared to go down the path of common sense and the common law to create money, then you bypass that government. And there is absolutely nothing. And again, the mechanism is very simple. You simply work out the, the, how many people live in your community uh, and you work out a ratio of what the country is worth. It's not, not impossible to do. But I certainly think the principle of the Bradbury um, can be made real within a community or within a region. So uh, I can see it working in Britain, for example. But what if a small island wanted to do it? Well, Guernsey did it. The little island of Guernsey did it after the Napoleonic War, and it worked brilliantly. And the city of London got frightfully upset and said, you've got to go back to the gold standard. You can't go around producing your own money. But the governor of the small the island of Guernsey knew that he had the labour, he had the materials, but he didn't have the payment to, to be able to make the whole, bring it all together. So he authorised it. He went outside his remit. And he got, he got, people got frightfully upset. Liverpool, at the time of the Revolutionary Wars, just before Napoleon emerged on the scene, about 1795, Liverpool got permission from the Parliament to create new money to rebuild their docks and stuff, just like the people of Guernsey. So it has been known, has been known, and there are examples of this. Um, yeah, so that is the exciting bit. I do believe that the Bradbury, or the, the principle of creating making sure that money creation goes back into the hands of the people, um, I think can latch on, that will latch on quite quickly, I'm hoping. 
And as I said, I'm talking to Neil Oliver and others in the hope that GB News may get around to doing it. I'm, I'm not holding my breath there because GB News has just had another £60 million put into the kitty by a, a venture capital watch, you know, venture capitalist thing. Um, and looking at it, I don't know. I think they might squirm. It's a bit of a vanguard stroke, you know, that that sort of ilk. So I'm the Middle Eastern lot. So I'm, I'm well, we'll wait and see on that one. Neil Oliver himself is very keen on it. Um, yeah, but let's cross those bridges as we come to them. But I think the best way we can get things moving is these TNTs. So if someone like yourself with 20,000 people, we send a TNT to you. You send it out to your supporters with the recommendation it goes out. And gradually more and more people will start to see the solutions and what is required. And the most important thing of all, encouraging people to step up to the plate themselves to take on board responsibilities because it's only that way that we can really make things happen when everyone is prepared to step up to the plate to do their bit and not just leave it to a few people. I've just realized my wife is going to be returning and I'm supposed to have got the dog out. So I, <laughs> she's gone to a, actually, again, what she's doing, she's just gone down, she's a Catholic and she's just gone down to a local church they're going to um, buy in lots of wood and a wood burning stove and they're going to have a warm area in the church where all the elder people can go in the winter to do knitting, coffee, have something to eat and keep warm. So people are preparing. Well, they certainly are. An interesting question, just a total aside, is why churches around the world, particularly the ones in the far north, were never heated? which makes me wonder whether the original use for church buildings was for something other than what we think it's for now. Well, I always laugh at about 19, was it? No, not about 20, 2016 it was. We had a very, very bad winter up in the Yorkshire Dales and uh, all our heating, but basically all our pipes have frozen. We lived in a 16th century longhouse and my wife said, well, my, my mother, my ancient mother and my, my aunt and myself, uh, we better go down to the church to keep warm um, while she attempted to try and get the meal ready with my daughter. And when we got down to the church, some tow rag had pinched the oil out of the tank. So the place was bloody freezing. <coughs> so happy days up to up in the Yorkshire Dales when you had real proper snow, five feet of it, you know, and uh, yeah, happy days. But uh, quite mild in Wales, I have to say, so far. Well, that's good. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk to you more, but I appreciate you, you need to yeah, go. Yeah, well, I, as I said, I've got to go and sort out. But listen, uh, are you happy to join us at Hardwick? That would be a lovely... Absolutely, yes, love to. Good. Love Excellent. To. Well, there'll be a chap called Joe. Joe Sinclair will be getting in touch with you. Joe's the secretary. He's done a brilliant job. He's doing a brilliant job. And as I say, we've got a happy team on board. It's a nice team. And and the important thing is, as I say, getting the messages out and then using these TNT alerts. And yeah, no, no, I think it's good. It's good. Well, very good. Thank you very much. I'd like um, for, for, uh, the questions I wanted to ask you further, uh, but you don't have to answer it now, is if there was one country 
that you could see that could actually go for it. You know, it, I don't know where in the world, but may, maybe Guernsey, if they've done it before, because they're into money there. Well, like Jersey, you know, it's yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, you know, I, I jokingly said to the Welsh, I mean, you know, what's to stop us having a Welsh Bradbury? Why can't we have Welsh pounds based on the what well, you know? Because I'm I'm actually part French, part English, part Scottish, part Irish, and I'm now living in Wales. Um, you know, uh, I, I, and I'm I'm not unhappy about small countries. I one of the people I got to know well in the 70s and 80s was a lovely and Austrian Jewish economist called Leopold Kohr, K-O-H-R. He was a lovely little man, little mischievous man, lovely, wicked sense of humour. And he wrote a book called The Breakdown of Nations. And he inspired E.F. Schumacher to write his book, Small is Beautiful. And I always joke when I hear people boring me about the Austrian School of Economics and all the rest of it. Well, he was a genuine Austrian and he belonged to the human scale school. In other words, human scale activity. And uh, he was an absolute delight. And his book, as I said, The Breakdown of Nations is always by the side of my bed. It's one of my, it's one of those books you just know you feel comfortable with when you read it. And, it, and, and the argument is simple. The smaller the nation, the smaller the problems. Um, so it's a good question what you ask, which country? I wouldn't trust it with Scotland at the moment, not with that lady in charge. But And I'm not really very keen on what's going on in Cardiff, if I'm honest with you. Um, but, uh, yeah, interesting. But uh, maybe we need to get back to the old Saxon kingdoms, Wessex, you know, Mercia, and who knows? I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded to anything that basically restores people in charge, puts people back in charge and that the other side can't find a way in to to take over again. That's that's my bottom line. I'm, I'm happy to live anywhere, as long as everyone is happy to do their bit to prevent such a thing from ever happening again. Well, uh, if you have time, let's talk again. I'd love to, yeah. Take, yeah. take it to another another level yeah. as to real, real practicalities. Yeah, well, I'd like you to meet Julian as well, and then you could see Julian as well. and. Uh, yeah, I'll probably try and bring you in on one of our calls. We have our, I jokingly refer to it as our Witan, but we, we, we decide to drop back. It did sound a bit elitist and stuff. But we do have about, well, about six, seven or eight of us we meet up, and uh, usually on Monday night. So I'll be happy to bring you in, Clive, and have a chat with him. Yeah, that, that would be fantastic. Good. Excellent. Excellent. All right, well, have a lovely rest of the day. Well, what's left? I've got to go and take the dog out now and do my, my duties. And then I'm going to be home alone for four days, which I can't believe, just me, the dog and the cat, uh, because my wife is going to meet my daughter coming down from Scotland. They're going to a, one of those family weddings where I know absolutely nobody on that side of the family. And I think I'm too much of an embarrassment with my views. So I think they'll be more than happy to have me here looking after the animals and keeping the house going. Um, yeah, because, um, well, small talk at weddings is not my favourite preoccupation.